SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. VD did all those that celebrate. Actually, it's probably you can't say VD because <laughs> no, nope. because it it's, really say it's VD not a VD day because the D is day in Valentine's day. 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 Yeah. So it would be happy Valentine's Day day, but I thought it would be fun to say happy VD day to all that celebrate. Swizzle here, EY from SoFi, Dan, Nathan, one o'clock on the East Coast, February the 14th, Wednesday. If it's Wednesday, Elizabeth is with us in studio. And by the way, Wednesdays we do a little audience Q and A. Dan, Elizabeth, how are you both today? Liz, hello, yeah, lovely. Look, happy, I, Liz, Liz divulged, Liz divulged something. Oh, she, she walked into the studio here. This, this is absolutely this, amazing. This, this is embarrassing. She she's talking to Bill, you know, who operates the studio here. Yeah. Does a Bill Hockman. Yeah, well, give him a shout out there. And she's like, you know, what happened to the NFL? Well, why don't you just describe what happened? Because guy might, fu- guy, are you sitting down? Because I hold on to something right here. When you're watching the Super Bowl Sunday night, and the whole broadcast had this Nickelodeon overlay, like a touchdown would be scored, and there was slime that got Come splashed on. into the end Stop zone. It. The line of Come scrimmage on. was like an underwater rope or something. SpongeBob SquarePants was one of the announcers. <laughs> so, so we're watching, Greg and I are watching the game, and I'm like, wow, Paramount must have put a lot of sponsorship money behind. Like, I don't understand. And I'm so distracted. Like, they're going to get so much criticism for this. What happened to the NFL? So I come in today, I'm telling Bill this very sad story about how distracted we were during the Super Bowl of all this Nickelodeon stuff. Come to find out, the CBS broadcast was totally normal. We yeah. must have been watching it on the Nickelodeon. I mean, I was say, what you guys did like mushrooms before the yeah. game. It was an edible Sunday, a super <laughs> edible Sunday. I mean, it didn't no, dawn I mean, on you because you're a fan. Like, it's not like you were sitting there reading. You weren't reading People magazine and watching the game. No, like, I, but you know why she couldn't figure it out? Because her Twitter was hacked. She didn't have Twitter. And normally that would have been your second screen Mm -hmm. and you would have been able to figure it out. And we want to talk about it. So you have at Liz Young Strat back. It's back. What did it feel like other than the anxiety about being hacked and and somebody being able to to do whatever they want to your followers? Yeah. um, It was probably kind of nice not to be on Twitter for a bit, huh? I mean, it was, but you realize how much of a habit you're in of just clicking on. I broke it though. I will tell you this. Like, so, so like when I like got kicked off on April 1st, I did get it back a few months ago. I probably tweeted 10 times. I retweet stuff or whatever. I'm off. it. I broke that habit. I do not wake up and scroll through the news. I don't go down rabbit holes in there. I don't see all the BS, the stuff that comes back to you. You probably read your mentions a bit too. You know what Mm, I mean? I know guy does guy likes to fight with his, uh, his no, no, I don't, I don't fight. I'm a counter puncher, but no, you are a counter puncher. I mean, you don't start fights no you defend yourself but my I point is them, though i broke bitch. that habit and it's out man yeah, like it's never you. come no I'm, what I'm saying it's never coming back now yeah. that being said it was a useful device i followed before i ever met liz uh-huh. i followed probably a hundred people like liz and got a lot of value from that you and i guy have met 
tons of amazing people mm-hmm. over Twitter. But if you talk to people now, that's going. Uh, oh, uh, the guy in the front over there. Uh, Did you have what, a question? Yeah. What do you? What do you? <laughs> more. It's more a statement than a question okay. because what you said, you did, you didn't even realize when you said it. You said you followed a hundred people like Liz. There's nobody oh. like Liz. No. All right. You know what? Okay. Thanks. All Thanks, right. guys. All right. No, that's pretty yeah. good. The, uh, the other thing before we get to what we're going to talk about today, the, the good, the good oh, are stuff we doing here. A show? Um, it is kind of interesting though. I looked at my wife this morning and I said, happy Valentine's day. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm like part of the problem now. I, I basically have embraced this BS holiday, you know, invented by Hallmark or whatever guy, you didn't yeah. do that. Did you like, that's not your jam. hundred percent. I, I, oh, really? I, I, yes, it's a day of, it's a day of love. It's to tell the people that you love in your life that you love. We don't do that often enough. And oh, you know, I think actually this is a day that I sort of embrace quite frankly. I like Valentine's day, but I'm, I'm a woman. And I think, you know, I like chocolate. I like, mm. <laughs> I like gifts and I like flowers. Yeah. Well, let's do see. you, do you celebrate sweetest day guy or is that one too much? That, that's, you know, it's putting that's it out there a little too much, but yeah. listen, it's as like Amanda's about to be in my ear and say, please, I'm begging you to stop. What we're celebrating today is the following in the form of our rundown. You like that segue? No, so we did that. Liz is, Liz is hack attack. I, that is fantastic because you were hacked. Now, it's yeah. interesting yeah. with, and I don't know this, but again, I don't think you'd have to do an apostrophe S. I think you could do Z apostrophe when the name is Liz, but I don't know. We'll go to our grammatical specialist for that. Big tech to crash your 401k. That's clickbait. Cisco earnings preview, big layoffs last week. We'll see what they have to say. And obviously, Wednesday is audience Q&A day. So queue up there, folks, with your questions. So here we go, Dan. Queue it up. Um, yeah, interesting enough, you know, like, Guy, you and I mentioned this um, 1 o'clock on Monday during market call. We thought it was kind of a weird day in the stock market. I remember referring to it on CNBC's Fast Money at 5 o'clock once the day closed. The day was basically unchanged, but yet I think it was Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and maybe one other of the MAG5 or whatever. They were all down, and they were all down like 1%. And the S&P was unchanged, yet NVIDIA was up a lot and a few other stocks. And I thought that was like a really interesting sort of setup. And then obviously we had Tuesday's CPI print, which immediately caused everything to just gap lower, everything mm-hmm. in the equity land list. So talk to us a little bit about how, you know, like we haven't talked to you in a few days here. Um, what, you know, expectations for that CPI print guy was clearly in the camp, thought that the, the chance for hotter data would be the thing that would kind of, you know, at least change the tune in the market. What was your mm-hmm. thought leading into it? And then what was your kind of takeaway on the way out? And here we are today, you know, we were up a lot more. We're up 45 basis points in the S&P 500. The NASDAQ is up 60. And, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a decent little bounce back. Yeah. I mean, this is going to sound a little smug and I certainly do not ever have a crystal ball that works perfectly, but Mm -hmm. I did also expect CPI to come in hotter Mm -hmm. than people wanted it to. Also expected that a March cut would look foolish to ever expect that. Well, you were saying that long before that was kind of the consensus after the last meeting. Right. So as as the alerts come across, right, the the number comes out, the alerts come across, there's a, a 12 box on CNBC, you get the... It, came in hotter than expected. And then futures were down right away about 300 points. Dow futures were down about 300 points. And I said out loud to my phone, oh, I'm shocked. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> because you you have to sort of expect that to happen. Also, here's the thing, what it taught us 
is that now we've completely priced out the March cut. We're, we've actually almost priced out a May cut. We're less than 50% for a May cut. If your investing thesis since last October was based on rate cuts, you have to rethink the thesis and find another reason to buy. It doesn't mean that there aren't other reasons to buy, but that can no longer be the one. And we've, we have to also listen to Powell. I was on closing bell yesterday and I tried to make this point because the question was, oh, does this change the Fed's reaction function? Does this change the way that they're going to look at, at things because CPI came in hotter? And my response was, I don't, what do they need to change? They've been pretty consistent mm-hmm. that they're not confident yet that the data is telling them the job is done. So this actually just proves that they're correct, right? And here we are, we just have to keep waiting longer. We push it off further into the future. So I think right now investors are probably struggling with if I was buying on the hopes that there would be this Fed put in place sooner rather than later, now why am I buying? I, I'm I'm in the total accord. And you know, again, I'm not a fan of central bank. I think everybody knows that by now. But what I will say, and I've said for a while, I think in terms of their messaging, most of the time, I think they've done a great job. You know, it's not up to them, the market's interpretation of what they said. I mean, they put it out there. They've been steadfast in their belief that, you know, this is going to be a difficult genie or dragon to slay. And, and they haven't really wavered from that. So if the market got ahead of themselves collectively, it's the market's fault. It's not Jay Powell's or those folks at the Fed's fault. And, you know, there are certain people, by the way, that I do like obviously EY from SoFi being one of them. There are the people, for some reason, I'm just predisposed not to like. We talked about those two Johnsons yesterday, Dan. What was that? Uh, uh, yeah, the guys Flick, from the Wall Street Flick, Journal. Flick, Tim Arose and the other yeah. short guy, yeah. Helsencraft or something, yeah. or, or Hagendas. Yeah. Well, here's, but- another, here's another guy that I don't particularly like, and I can't really tell you why, but Austin Goolsby, who, you know, when inflation data comes in, to, to levels that he feels appropriate and back up his belief system. He's up on a soapbox. But when things go the other way, you know, he passes it off. And I think, you know, Liz has said this before, you really can't have it both ways. And, you know, I think that's what he's attempting to do. I think yesterday's numbers uh, reinforced to me, at least, this notion that things are really sticky. And, you know, quite frankly, when you see some of the headline numbers in, you know, the world is great if you don't have to buy auto insurance, if you don't have to make repairs on your home, if you don't have to buy over-the-counter drugs, if you don't have to eat, I can go on and on and on because those numbers are through the roof. And I think it's going to be really problematic to get it down there. And as a matter of fact, and we talked about this yesterday, not that I think this is going to happen at all, but the market has now priced in a small percentage chance of an actual rate hike at some point this year. So go figure, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, I mean, listen, things would have to go really haywire, you know what I mean, if the Fed just like like turned course and started to panic about a, a massive reacceleration. I think that the distance of the pause, right, between the oh, yeah. last hike, okay, yeah. and the next cut is 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 that kind of readjusting or, or so. And and listen, you know what? Listen, a guy, I, you know that um you know, with the goals, be, I mean, listen, everyone's just trying to do their best here, man. You know, and, and I look at, you know, very different guy than what you think about, like some, you know, journalist who you think is like, you know, kind of like, like, like towing water for, you know what I mean? Um, you, you know, the Fed or something like that. I mean, Goolsby is, um, you know, I, I think he really 
kind of believes in what he's doing. I think they believe in the path in which they've, they've undertaken. I think they have good reasons to kind of, um, you, know, you know what I mean? Like try to do the things they're, they're trying to do. So, so again, I know, um, you know, like this back and forth on the fed is, is something that I think is worthwhile because it does kind of, you know, get to some of the reasons why things do yeah. what they do. But guy, you've also conceded recently. You're like, listen, if this administration, if this Fed, and a lot of people think the Fed can be political, it's meant to be apolitical. Fed Chair Powell gets this question all the time. He got it from Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago. Um, if they were trying to be political, it would be all signs pointing yeah. towards lower interest rates. And it does speak to the fact that this push and pull between inflation becoming entrenched and rates being lower just for the sake of it, because the thought that that's what buoys markets, that's what buoys economies, like that is here to stay, Liz. Yeah, well, unless you bring the dollar conversation into it, right, where you've got lowered rates, pressure the dollar, and depending on who might end up in the White House, that can be a criticism too. Here's what I think is going to happen, and a lot of this Fed speak is going to feed this issue. As we approach May and June, I think it's going to turn into a really bad game of chicken between what the market thinks the Fed should do and what the Fed thinks the Fed should do. And I think the Fed can wait a lot longer than the market can. And almost just out of principle, they might try to prove that. They want the data to be absolutely indisputable that it's on the right path. I think they're going to wait longer. That's all things held constant, though. That's assuming that growth still stays okay. Nothing really happens in the meantime. That's terrible. But I think the Fed is going to have a lot more stamina in this than the market will. The other thing is the yield reaction that happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that. I'll, I'll throw a chart up later. But the yield reaction that happened yesterday tells me that the market finally is waking up to the idea or the risk that overheating or reheating is out there as a possibility. And those big moves, I mean, the chart would show you those big moves, that's 98th percentile intraday swing. Right. That's not. Oh, normal. pull that, pull that chart up. So this is a chart that's going to be in your note tomorrow that drops mm-hmm. on this SoFi investing blog. Maybe let's throw up also a little, uh, where, where can people find that chart? Isn't it so You can go to SoFi.com and yeah. then there's an on the money tab. Yeah. Or you can just go straight to investment strategy. All right. So check that out. If you want that in your inbox that comes out every Thursday morning. All right, yeah. guy, did you check this one out? This is kind of really interesting here. So let's yeah, walk so us this, through this because yesterday's move, while it seemed big, it was after a string of some fairly big moves also. Right. We've had a lot. In the last yeah. couple of years, we've had a lot, but the point is that those are abnormal. So an intraday swing, yesterday there was an intraday swing of over 20 basis points. The actual open to close was about 15 basis points. This is in the 10 year, but the same thing happened in the two year. An intraday swing of 20 basis points or more is, look at out February 13th, it's that last little box it's in the 98th percentile of all moves, okay, back since 1998. 90% of the intraday moves fall somewhere between two and 14 basis points. And 14 basis points is still pretty big. So thinking about that just from the perspective of one of the things that's carried over from 2023 is that yield volatility is here to stay. I think it's going to continue to happen even after the Fed starts to cut rates because we're not sure how fast they're going to do it. We're not sure if they went too soon. We're not sure if they waited too long. And we don't know if we're going to get big ones or smaller ones along the way. So yield volatility is here to stay. The weird part about it is that the market so far doesn't really seem to care. There's one other chart I'll bring up just to kind of make that point. Uh, It's a ranges of PEs given the 10-year treasury yield. So the market hasn't cared yet, but this is something that is important to think about from a historical perspective that the ranges of trailing PEs 
based on 10-year treasury yield ranges. If we can throw that chart up, guys, it was the last one. Right now, we're above the median range. So we're at 25 times trailing PE. And that's for a 4 to 6% 10-year treasury. Okay, so you can see where we are. Current, 25 times. The median quartiles, obviously, we're a little bit above that. Here's, here's the big question. And I don't know the answer to this, but this is a thesis that's been thrown around. Even when the Fed starts cutting rates, what if the 10-year treasury yield stays elevated? Mm-hmm. It comes down a little bit, right? It's above four right now. Let's say it comes down a little bit and it moves into that, that previous box. Let's say it's between two and 4%. Here's the problem. The median PE, the median trailing PE in that box is far below where we are now. And the median range is below where we are now. So if that were the case, and if the thesis is this time is different, then maybe cuts will also be different. And the market is going to have to reprice this because I think that there's a really good chance that the 10-year treasury yield does not go back down to somewhere between zero and 2%. I love that this, again, when you see it, we can talk about things like this till you're blue in the face, but when you see it on the screen in front of you, it clarifies a lot of things. And you see the bucket that we currently find ourselves in. You see the historic, basically trailing PE and where we are now. I mean, you can say all you want. You can say stocks deserve to be expensive. I mean, we can have that debate, but you can't argue with the fact that given this metric, they are expensive without question. And you go back to that last slide uh, that Liz just had up, because this is fascinating as well. You know, people that have such certainty, I'm not certain about most things, but this is what I'm certain of, that the bond market shouldn't have a move like yesterday if people knew what was going on or if the bond market anticipated any of this. And I'll be honest with you. If you had told me before yesterday that we'd see that type of move in 10-year yields and you asked me what the S&P is going to do, I would say it's going to close down over 100 S&P handles. And listen, at one point it was, but it rallied back late and we're obviously getting a little bounce today. So mm-hmm. no, I don't know what the equity market is looking at because clearly the bond market doesn't know what the hell's going on. So it's interesting, Guy, that you mentioned that rally late in the day in the S&P 500. And we have a chart here. It, you know, it came right off of that uptrend that's been in place from those October lows. Um, I think at one point, two days ago at the all-time highs in the S&P 500, um, we were up maybe 22, 23% um, percent or so. But listen, we, we caught support right where we were supposed to catch um, support here. And and again, you know, like, I I guess it's up to like the bears to prove that, that it's going to break below there and meaningfully. And obviously, you know, we're looking at that low from just a couple of weeks ago, that was probably 48.50. And then you see that kind of 47.50 range, but you still see that 200 day moving average all the way down there, man, at like, you know, what is that? 44 or 50 or something like Mm -hmm. that or 45. So um, we are extended. I think the the one thing, and, and Liz, we wanted to get, your take on this too. Russell 2000 yesterday at one point was Mm. the small caps were down nearly 5%, which was Mm. fairly astounding if you think about it, right? Like, so it just kind of gave back, you know, first of all, that gap is, is massive. And then it kept on going. And then, you know, we, we, we really closed very near the lows, despite the fact that the S and P and the NASDAQ rallied fairly decently off of that. Here we are. We're not getting a whole heck of a lot going here. Um, Thoughts there, because this probably plays in a little bit to the higher for longer, um, more embedded inflation, um, tighter credit standards, you know, bigger defaults, exposure to financial services, like that's all encapsulated in the Russell 2000 here. Yep. Well, and just to put it in perspective, 5% is the limit down on the S&P, right? If the S&P drops 5%, you, we pause trading. Yeah. So that's a big number. And obviously this is the Russell, it's different. 
Well, it's different about, because it's the market cap of Apple and Microsoft. Right. And, mean, it's, which is and it's more volatile just yeah. inherently. So you need yeah. wider bands. But in any event, 5% is a huge move and not something to be ignored. One of the, the big points I think I've made here before, but if I haven't, I'll reiterate. For all of the arguments about there's been broadening out of the market or the market is resilient, the economy is resilient, and we're going to make it through this, we're going to have this soft landing, we're going to have Goldilocks, whatever you want to call it. If the Russell 2000 doesn't confirm that, it's not true. Yeah, let's pull up that other chart while she's speaking here, people. Because the problem here is that you've got small cap stocks, which employ 50 to 60% of America. And you can't have an economic expansion without 50 to 60% of the employment staying strong. If a lot of the argument, again, is hung on the fact that labor is still strong, we've got a tight labor market, there are jobs that are available. Labor is the last thing that cracks. We know that. So maybe it just hasn't yet. And if you've got small caps that can't get off the mat here, they're still stuck in that range, that blue range on the chart, which we've talked about many times. There's a very clear line of resistance that they can't quite get above. Multiple attempts, which I think is good news, but still can't get over the hurdle, then it's not confirmed that we are in the clear. And the market actually is not convinced of that. So you have to watch small caps. I actually think small caps are getting more and more important to watch. That doesn't make them a buy. I'm just saying they're more and more important to watch as this cycle continues. The other thing is I'm going to pull up one last chart on CPI. Here's why mm -hmm. I think they're also being pressured. The chart that's, it's the super core chart. Okay. There's a lot going on here, but it's pretty easy to follow. So Here's the thing, and this is something that has irritated me from the beginning of this inflation conversation. Just because the numbers didn't look right, we started to just clip stuff off. Like, okay, let take food and energy out. We don't like what that's saying. Okay, you know what? Take shelter out. We don't like what that's saying, right? So then we come up with this measure of super core, which is basically services, core services, X shelter. So nothing's left in here. But the stuff that is left, you can see in the stacked bars. The funny part about this is that for now the last nine months, we got the ninth read yesterday, nine months, this measure has been stuck at or above 4%. Pre-pandemic, it was in the 2 to 3% range. This is what the Fed started to talk about targeting. So now even the super core, which is the one that we supposedly took everything that was problematic out of, even the super core is telling us that we still have an inflation problem. And the last part about that is that you can see that blue bar is the biggest portion, <laughs> transportation services. So we thought shelter was our biggest issue. Now, apparently, it's motor vehicle insurance. That's been the contributor here. You've got transportation services up 9.5%, 80 to 90% of which is driven by motor vehicle insurance. So I don't. maybe there's a metric coming. Mario called it the super duper core. <laughs> which is going to be the Supercore X car insurance. So, so guy, Mario is moving the goalposts. On, 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 <laughs> of course on, he is. I mean, because, we do it as a joke, yeah, but it's like yeah. this chart shows Why you. Why don't we have Mario on, on, the, on the market Opera, call? I mean, yeah, wouldn't that be amazing, guy? Like in studio, Mario? I think people think he's like Amanda, like doesn't really exist. It's like our own little AI, you know what I mean, that creates all this. Oh, Amanda really exists. I mean, yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. interesting. There are people now, again, I try to read everything. I don't like to remain in my echo chamber, although that's obviously a very safe place for me. But you know, there were people yesterday saying this is a an early year phenomenon that we've seen before where somehow all these numbers get sort of stacked in and we see a spike early in the year and that gets sort of washed away. And maybe that's true. I, I didn't back check it at all to see, but I'll tell you, that chart that you pulled up, and that's where I was going to go, by the way, so pull it up again. If this trend continues, which, by the way, I think it will. You know, you've seen this turn now 
that's going to be, I don't want to say devastating for small caps, but you talk about creating headwinds, Dan. I mean, this will create significant headwinds for the small cap as small caps as economically sensitive as they are. Well, I know you're trying to throw it to Dan, but I'm not done yet. No, go. <laughs> so here's the other thing. If if this stays high, this is another reason that the 10-year yield would stay elevated, right? And not not high, but elevated. Let's say the 2 to 4% range, which continues to put pressure on capital, continues to put pressure on companies that are financed by debt. Small caps are mostly financed by debt. That's why they're so sensitive to interest rates. Also, if you look at what's called the maturity wall of corporate debt, it's not really a big problem this year. It starts in earnest in 2025. So we've been able to push it off in the sense of companies haven't had to roll over that much new debt at these higher rates. But in mm -hmm. 2025, they start to have to do that in 2026 as well. If small caps continue to be financed by debt and they need to start rolling over at higher rates because the 10-year has stayed elevated, that's where it really becomes a problem. And look, we're not the first people to point this out. I think that's part of the reason why small caps can't get above that trading range. Yeah, And I know well, you're trying to throw it to Dan, but I'm going to interrupt here as well. Sorry, Dan, <laughs> that's two in a row. What we didn't even mention on top of all this is the fact that over the next 11 or so months, there's $8.9 trillion of United States debt that's maturing that somebody's going to have to pick up. And you wonder... Listen, somebody will buy our debt without question. It's the yield with which they are willing to do so that's going to be the question, which is another, I think, uh, impact on rates going higher, Dan Nathan. Sorry. So, you know, it's Welcome funny. And that. I've been doing this. I've been saying this in, in sort of sarcastic fashion over the last week or so as the market was making new highs every day. And I was like, listen, people, what, what's not to like here? The S&Ps at all time highs. The economy was rip roaring, you know, probably doubled up the expected GDP last year. Right. And now expectations are really low for one and a half percent or so GDP this year. Consumer confidence is high. Um, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There's all these things that are going on. And, you know, it's funny. We've been pointing towards next week in NVIDIA, and we'll spend a lot of time on that next week when they report earnings. But we talked about it, Guy, on Fast Money over the last couple of days. It seems like the entire stock market is kind of waiting for what their guidance is going to be, whether it confirms the rally that's that's gone on in the stock just in the last six weeks or so. But it, it's interesting. If this stock, let's say they were to disappoint just on expectations, but the fundamentals are still really good. Let's just say the stock market, it's not the company. It was investors that took the stock up 45% you know, th this year in the last six weeks or so. Is there a scenario where this stock could correct, where Microsoft, after, let's say, some lukewarm co-pilot reviews, where Google, after some lukewarm Gemini advanced reviews, some other things going on, is there a scenario where maybe, look, let's pull up also the sectors, okay, where maybe industrials are okay. Maybe banks, you know what I mean, have learned to live in a 4.5% 10-year yield environment because that's maybe where we settle in. Um, maybe retailers, that all those issues with inventories and this and that, maybe they've kind of like normalized things. You know, we spent a lot of time talking over the last couple of weeks about these stocks busting out to new all-time highs. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. I'm just saying like, I, I want to throw that out there because, you know, I have been particularly pessimistic because I thought what's gone on over the last few weeks was unsustainable when we had an S&P up nearly five and a half percent and NASDAQ up nearly seven percent. And, you know, the, the Russell just joined the party but couldn't get out of its own way. Yields higher for longer. The dollar rallying. Crude oil went from 70 to 78. You know, there, there's a lot of headwinds, but the stock market doesn't care. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, so, guy, I'm kind of kicking that to you in a way because, 
I'm wondering, maybe we get to next week and maybe NVIDIA is down 10%. The implied move in the options market is about 11%. So take off, you know, I don't know, you know, like 60, $70 billion in market cap or something like that, retracing a bit of this move or whatever. Maybe the stock, maybe the S&P is okay. I don't know. A 10% move lower in NVIDIA, given the run it's had, it would be a collective sigh of relief, I think, from yeah. the marketplace, in, in my opinion. So I think, listen, I think if that were to happen, I think people would say, wow, we dodged a, we dodged a bullet here. So, I, But I understand what you're saying. Um, but is the chance of that happening? Yes. Will there be a rotation into something? Yes. I don't necessarily think it's going to be in the banks, because I do think the banks are absolutely challenged in this environment especially what we talked about in terms of the economy and the small caps. Again, I'll say it for the hundredth time. You know, I think energy has been sort of the flip side of this technology coin where people are sort of getting out of their energy plays into getting these technology plays just for the beta on the back of it. But if for whatever reason there are cracks in the armor, I think people are going to find their way back into the energy space. And if you go back over the last couple of years, that's been a bit of a pattern as well, Dan. Listen, and I agree on banks in particular, and and we talked about it last night on Fast Money, I think in a higher for longer environment where everyone was positioning their portfolios for rates that were like meant to go much lower over the course of this year. I also agree. And Guy, you, I think, made the point about some of these money center banks that caught some relief with rates coming in from 5%, you know, in the mark to market held to maturity, you know, securities portfolios were getting absolutely killed, you know, just a few months ago. But you know, I, I, I get that too. I, I'm just kind of throwing it out there in a way because, you know, 2022 felt like a very orderly bear market. 2023 felt like a very orderly bull market. And now it seems like everybody's offsides on everything, right? They're offsides on where yields should be, where the dollar should be, what Chinese growth should be, whether uh, Russia should be allowed to just roll through Europe and, you know, uh, by way of taking over Ukraine. You know, the, the, it just seems like there's so much uncertainty right now that, you know, it doesn't mean that, like, I, I don't know how we climb a wall. I'm just going to use a phrase that guy. Don't, please don't, don't, uh, don't. Not today. Just say anything. Not today. That. Not on VD Day, guy. Um, no, not on but, VD but, Day. But, but, but you understand what I'm saying, Liz? Is like, yes. I can I see us. I think there's a really good chance that we're down 10, 15%. I think there's a good chance at some point we're up more than 10% or whatever. I think that the, like, there's a lot of folks that were kind of saying that maybe this is 95, 96, and we have four consecutive years of 30% gain. That seems ludicrous to me. I don't think we're on the doorstep of a new like multi-year bull market, but I don't know. I mean, like next week, I think is going to be really telling for the balance of this year, to be honest with you, with what happens in NVIDIA and whether it takes a group with it, whether it takes the market with it and what what sort of rotations we see. Yeah. I mean, I, the only thing I have to back this up is just how it feels right now, the sentiment feels right now, because there's been dispersion already this year mm-hmm. in the MAG-7 and it hasn't taken the market down, it's hard for me to believe that one stock will do it, right? I think maybe that would have happened last year. I don't know that that's how we're operating anymore this year. And we're still sort of waiting to find out what happens with all the money that's in money market funds. Mm-hmm. Will money come out of money market funds to go into It didn't all chasing? go into NVIDIA in, no, it, in it, the $900 billion? Dollars. It, it hit $6 trillion, right? It was at $5 trillion yeah. at the end of the year. It hit $6 trillion, So people are still putting money in money market funds because rates haven't fallen and you can still get 5% in a money market fund. So there's some rational investment decisions going on there. But next week, yes, probably going to be a big deal, at least yeah. news-wise. Also, everybody that is publishing earnings, count your zeros. Uh, we had a big disaster in, yeah. in that yesterday, today, but Lift, a, a big, a, a big, a big week. Sure. 
What's really interesting is if you remember my column from last week, I talked about the market not caring anymore about macro data. And then CPI came out in the market. Yeah, cared nice about call. Market, but no, it's I still maintain that. <laughs> cared about it for one day. That's right. it. Well, let's see. And now it's over. But, but, all right. So, Jay Guy, I wanted to bring this well, up. What she's saying is the data doesn't matter, which I just love doing. Kind because yeah. Yeah. Which, and who knows how long that well, can go. That, see, I was, I was actually going to disagree with you last week, but you, you, you wrote it up. You, you had this nice note. You can disagree with me, but it, it's sort of that in this period, at some point it'll end, but yeah. in this period, okay. it doesn't seem to matter. Well, let's Momentum see. is in charge. If, if we start getting other going. data points about inflation, if we start hearing mm-hmm. it from companies, like, you know, retailers are going to start reporting over the next couple of weeks. That'll mm-hmm. be really interesting. You saw how hard hit home builders got yesterday on that rate move and everything like that. So to me, you know, I actually think it does matter. I think that when investors got divorced between um, that, like not caring about valuations and stuff like that and mm-hmm. individual names and different sectors, and willing, willing to pull forward a lot of excitement about things. That's when I think the macro matters a lot. But guy, I wanted to pull this up. Maybe they could um, do Apple on the fly here. Um, this stock, you know, is is right back towards where it was at its lows after its mm-hmm. earnings. You know, and so talk about what can happen in the broader stock market. Um, there was an article, and and we'll talk about. Let's pull up a one year chart uh, in the Apple for a second here. Um, you know, the stock. Yeah, look at that. Right? It's right on that moving average and everything like that. Looks kind of vulnerable. Um, we talked a little bit about Microsoft. Um, you know, listen, two stocks each about $3 trillion in market cap. If they have fundamental reasons to sell off, if NVIDIA has a fundamental reason to sell off, if NVIDIA disappoints and actually guides below, you can extrapolate that to their competitors, which would be AMD and a whole host of other semis. You could extrapolate it to their customers, which is Meta, Google. Amazon, you know, um, you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, so can one stock take down the market? Well, when one stock is attached at the hip mm-hmm. to another $15 That's trillion, dollars, yep. you know what I mean? Like yep. it certainly can. And especially, and let's put NVIDIA up for a second, especially when you consider the violent nature of this rally over the last six weeks. So, so well, what's what's interesting there is, I mean, Apple's at its moving average. Nvidia is obviously not even in the same uh, zip code. Is that means? I mean, they're completely different time zones. So, good for Nvidia, I guess. But Apple, the fact that we're once again testing it on the downside is, I think, troubling in a word. If if you want to just be one of these sort of you know ardent Apple bulls, I mean, bulls. There's clearly something going on, and you know, look. You go back to October, we traded down to it. I guess we got through it, but we bounced resoundingly through it. We traded back down to it late December, early in the year, bounced right off it again, traded down to it again last earnings, seemingly bounced. But the fact that we're testing again is troubling. So, yes. And this leads me to what's those, you know, by the way, talking about magazines, I just happen to have, take a look at this one. Model Railroader magazine and absolutely building. building what are you model doing? Railroad. Is that that's got to be like that was a joke gift? No, first. it's not actually. I, I'm 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 fascinated by it. But I used to get these magazines confused all the time. Forbes, Fortune, they're all this. They're the same friggin' thing, except one guy's name is Forbes. So let's pull it up because he's clearly a market call fan and or a fast money fan because we tease this in the top of the show. Every you can read it for yourself, folks. But everything that's in this little clip are the things that we've been saying for a while. David Einhorn mentioned it last week. We've been talking about it. You know, these stocks have been on autopilot, Dan, 
vis-a-vis yeah. passive investing and all the ETFs and the different funds they're in. And that's great on the way up. But man, oh man, oh man, I think most people don't even realize the extent that their portfolios are loaded up with these names, which again, has been a, it's been a godsend. But there's the other side of that mountain as well. Yeah, and I would say this. It's not just here in the U.S. in 401ks. We had a, a stat um, a couple of weeks ago. When you look at the, the MSCI World Index, World Index, I think it makes up 30%. These seven stocks make up 30% of the global. So if you are investing a, across, you know, obviously not just U.S. So, um, you know, again, what was the stat we heard about um, how many, uh, how many of these make up, uh, they're greater than the entire Chinese market? You know, we spent a lot of time talking about the Shanghai Composite or whatever. So I don't know, Liz. I mean, like you speak to um, an investor sort that is kind of more long-term. They like these big secular trends and that sort of thing. And I guess if you were the mindset that, let's say, three or four of these are still going to be the largest stocks in the entire market 10 years from now, maybe even 20 years from now, mm-hmm. Probably not a bad place to be allocated if you if you will. You can be slow and steady wins the race. And I know it's just important to note. I think the guy, what you're alluding to is that, you know, Tesla's down 50% from its late 2021 highs. It's massively underperformed the S&P 500, but it still has this massive cold fall. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. If you're a long-term investor, you err on the side of strategic, not tactical. And a lot of times, if you're trying to be really mathematical about a strategic approach to investing, you have strategic targets. And then you have an allowable band around those targets mm-hmm. where you're okay with your portfolio going up or down and you're still not going to make any changes. Yeah, Totally fine to have an allocation to these names. And if it does get down to four, right? And we got Lily that is in there now. But if it, let's say it gets down to four, it's totally fine to still have an allocation to those names, but I would still stick to a strategic allocation, make a decision yeah. about this is how much I'm willing to have exposed to the AI theme. If you get way above that, trim it, rotate into something else and stay true to that because over time, what's likely to happen, and this is what happened after the internet, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, everything that people thought was going to be the winner when the internet came out, some of that was true, but the reality was that we didn't even know where the profit was going to come from, what was going to actually benefit until 10 to 15 years later. And once we found that out, once we found out that e-commerce and that advertising and all the different Mm -hmm. stuff that came out of the internet, there were a bunch of new companies that were born from what? Porn. Okay. Well, I was one of the the early (laughs) success stories of the internet. I mean, like seriously. Yeah. There were, there were a bunch of new companies. Maybe you can name a few that were, that were born out of the idea that stuff just continued to evolve. AI is likely to continue to evolve. There will be new companies yeah. that come out of it. In fact, there's one today that's up. I don't know what it is, double digits, yeah. and I don't remember what it's called, but it's one that we've never talked about before, right? So there will continue to be new opportunities to buy stuff on that theme. Don't get too overloaded in the ones and get too married to the idea that like NVIDIA is going to be the winner because that may not be the case. Yeah, no, it will be a winner, but not to the extent that it's being priced at the moment here. Um, all right, let's look at one that's not, I get, this was like the NVIDIA guy of the year 2000, and this would be Cisco Systems. This is a $200 billion market cap company trading a little below four times sales. It's trading at, um, you know, 13 times this year's expected earnings that are expected to be down 5%. Next year, 12 and a half times earnings that are expected to be up, um, you know, a, a, a few percent, I think, or so. So this is not like a big grower here. Um, you know, I say to myself, implied move uh, about 
I don't know, 5% or so. Last quarter, it got down 10% on a disappointing quarter. Um, and guide, when you see, you know, a couple consecutive guides down, which is what this stock has had, um, you say to yourself, what's going on here? Obviously, their exposure to telco, their exposure geographically, their exposure to a strong dollar, um, a whole host of things here. I, I would also imagine that they're going to try to tell a story about how their products and services, their uh, routers and, 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 and the like are, are really the backbone of this. Um, AI revolution when you get away from GPUs. I'm sure they're going to talk about software. I'm sure they're going to talk about their recurring revenue base, like all those sorts of things. I mean, listen, Cisco is a perfectly fine company. It's probably trading right about where it should be from a valuation standpoint. And, you know, like I, I just... But, oh, but by the way, they put the implied move up there just as a, a quick reminder, just to do the quick and dirty math of the stock around 50. If you looked at the, just the weekly straddle, that's the call premium and the put premium in the 50 strike, which is where the stock is trading right now. You put that together, it's about $2.73. You divide it by the strike, which is 50 bucks. That gets you to about five and a quarter, five and a half percent. That's how we figure that out. So if you bought that at the money straddle, if you bought the movement in that, you would need to move higher by about $2.73 by Friday closed or a move lower by 273 just to make money. Now, obviously, if you just want to buy a call and define your risk, it's half the price of the straddle. And the same thing for the put. Guy, thoughts on Cisco here, not about how it might trade in the quarter. I don't really have a good feel, but what you might be able to extrapolate from what they're going to say uh, about the future guidance. Yeah, well, what's the demand? What are they seeing on the demand side of things? And then quite frankly, the first question is, you know, wh why why did it necessitate job cuts last week? What was that announcement predicated upon? I mean, you know, these companies, again, in order to, to try to combat margin degradation, the first thing companies do historically is fire people, right? Now, they don't call it that anymore, by the way. They call it sort of a reintegration in terms of the, the vision we have for our all the fancy buzzwords. But the reality is that's what's happening. So what necessitated these layoffs? My sense is they're going to talk about a slowdown in demand. And, you know, that to me is going to be a tell, obviously, for Cisco, but maybe more downstream as well. So that's how I would interpret this. And I think, again, these implied moves and way to play these things, I think this is a very reasonable option strategy without question. We talk about it all the time. So I don't have a, I don't have a strong view one way or another, but I would glean something from the job cuts last week as to what they're going to say. Uh, in terms of their earnings release. Yeah. Well, and and again, we saw this with Snap when they cut jobs um, or at least announced those job cuts a week before their earnings. It was followed by disappointing guidance in a way. So at least it makes it look like the management is mm -hmm. kind of moving their feet. So I, I kind of lean um, to the downside here also. Um, Guy, I think, it, like you said, yep, it's that time. It's Wednesday, it's Q&A. Let's do it here. I'm sure there's a lot of tasty ones for, for Liz yeah. Young. This is, this is actually right up EY's... Uh, I'm going to throw a, just a sort of a fast BP fastball, as they say, to get things going. This is from Matt Walter. And this goes sort of talks about how your note was last week about the data mattering or not. The 210 rate spread has been inverting and de-inverting off and on for a long time. Ain't that the truth? Does that metric even matter anymore, Jay? It matters to me. And I think it matters to Guy Adami. Mm -hmm. It doesn't appear to matter to the market right now. But one of the things that we've been talking about, and if you look at the trend of that inversion, it has gotten more shallow. It was down in the 80 to 100 basis point range at one point. It has gotten more shallow. But the concerning part is that it's still lasting. And it's one of the things that I struggle with on the bull case of 
how will we re-steepen the yield curve without pain? And what, the other thing we talk about really often is it's not usually the inversion that's the problem, it's the re-steepening that gets tricky and, and why the re-steepening happens. There's actually a chart that you don't have today, but uh, Mario and I will try to tweet it out tomorrow. And it's basically what happens in the S&P over different yield curve moves. So things like bull steepeners, bull flatteners, like all those different moves and what's the average return in the S&P the typical thing that happens when the Fed is going to cut rates or in a recession doesn't usually produce a very good return on the S&P. So watch for that tomorrow. I'll tweet it out. If we don't get to it, I'll, I'll talk about it um, on the pod on Monday too. But I think the yield curve inversion matters absolutely. And I think everybody else is going to think it matters when it finally gets back to zero. It's, you know, you hear people say it's different this time. Yeah. And I would agree with them. The problem, of course, is it actually could be worse this time in terms of how different it is only due to the duration that which we've seen this this inversion. Now it's the longest in history now that we're in February. And again, I think we got down to maybe 12 basis or points or so inverted. We're back to where we are now. And again, the bond market doesn't know what to do at this point, which I think should concern people, but that's just me. Next question, Dan. This is maybe for both of us as this is individual stock. This is from ENP. How is American Express running so much? All-time high, I think, over the last couple of days. Chart is so different uh, than Discover, fin Discover Financial, DFS. AXP seems to overdo the drop. We'll put an American Express chart up. I'll say this quickly. You know, obviously, American Express, their customer is sort of the other end of the spectrum in terms of, you know, the word affluent here is a lot on the halftime report. I'll throw it out there now. So their customer obviously skews a little more wealthy. And I think the fact that business travel is back the way it is obviously probably helps American Express as well. However, they're not going to be, Dan, impervious to what I think will be uh, delinquencies and such coming down the pipe. So, yes, they've outperformed for a while. I just think it's a matter of time before they get in line as well. Yeah, and I think it's interesting the question was speaking relative to the Discover Financial. And again, we've seen like some resilience in the higher end and consumer to a great deal. That said, we've been highlighting the fact that um, a lot of the job cuts we've seen are, have been white collar jobs, right? And so this might be uh, an area that that puts um, American Express in somewhat of a vulnerable position. And also, you know, a lot of folks like to kind of look at Visa and MasterCard and the multiples that those things trade at, but they don't, they don't have the sort of credit risk that American Express has um, for default. So right now, the default rates are not high, the reserves are not high, the results have been really good, from a valuation standpoint, the stock, you know, um, trades at about 16 times. That's below a market multiple, well below 14 times next year. So earnings expected to grow 15% uh, this year, 14% next on 9 8% respectively sales growth over the next two years. Now, if that's the case, then this is a cheap stock relative to the market, many of its peers. And I'd also say it's probably cheap relative to itself historically, but there's a lot of ifs there. You know what I mean? And I'll just say this is like, if we can pull up um, maybe a five-year chart really quickly here, um, that's a beautiful breakout. It's a, you know, a lot of volatility and, and a long consolidation, but it just went from near 52 week lows to 52 week highs. I think a check back guy, you'd probably agree towards that $200 level would make a lot of sense and probably give some investors, um, a, you know, a reason to maybe take another look at, at what the longer term prospects are and whether those growth rates relative to the valuation make sense. 
Look, I mean, again, American. I thought American Express would stop into earnings at that prior high. That was wrong. And I thought it would stop for all the reasons you just cited. And, you know, I had a conversation last night about a similar thing, just because, you know, the calls for a slowdown and stuff, they obviously didn't come to fruition last year. Doesn't mean that the inevitability of them aren't going to kick in at some point. So I guess what I continue to fail to realize is the lag effects have not kicked in. But I think it's just a matter of time. And to your point about layoffs, I mean, I think they're coming. If you look below the surface, um, there's some troubling signs in terms of layoffs across the swath of industries. I think American Express's um, customer base will be impacted. Here's a good one from Gary Webb. Um, and I don't have a strong opinion on this, although the reversal today I think is interesting. Would love to hear your opinion on whether Bitcoin will trade as a safe haven asset or risk on play this year. That's from Gary. Dan, thoughts? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I just had a conversation with Danny Moses um, and uh, Bethany McLean, the famed journalist, um, and that's going to drop on the On The Tape podcast on Monday, a special drop. Um, and we were talking about Bitcoin a little bit here. And it was interesting because it looked like a layup to kind of sell the news on that spot ETF, you know, mm -hmm. Bitcoin uh, ETF announcement. But look what's happened here. And, and it's happened as the dollar has rallied. It's happened as yields have gone higher. Um, it's happened as gold has sold off too. So it, it's kind of interesting. It seems more correlated right now to the riskiest stock, I think, in the market, which is NVIDIA, than it does to the idea that it's a hedge against, you know, calamity and central banks, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. Thoughts, people? Well, look, I mean, I, I'm surprised by how, how well it's rocketed back since that sell-off post the ETF announcement. I think that's extraordinarily encouraging. Um, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I'm not quite certain what it's trading on right now. I mean, maybe this, maybe that CPI print was uh, proof positive that if the Fed is in this no man's land, the winner of all this is Bitcoin. We'll see. But they have to be impressed by the price action. And quite frankly, I mean, if you put up a longer-term chart, you know, there have been pullbacks along the way without question. I mean, things that'll sort of make you weak in the knees, but, you know, it continues to sort of do the grind. So congratulations to all those that understand it, because clearly I'm not one of these. By the way, uh, we have a question from Guy in Morristown, Dan. This is to you. What do you make of what's going on in the energy sector? Because my God, it can't get out of its own way. Wait, wait, aren't you Guy from Morristown? Not I to box you. Um, I am Guy from Morristown. Yeah. So it's interesting, Guy. You and I have been talking about this, and 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 I've been thinking about it in a couple different ways. Um, you know, a little bit ago, I, I was uh, involved in a March put spread, and I'm actually rolling that up a little bit. It's had um, a, a decent move. That's in the USO, uh, the ETF that tracks the United States oil fund. You and I were detailing um, bullish ways to trade the crude futures, right? And using a stop and, and raising that trailing stop as it kind of bounced off of that uptrend. I'm looking at it now in the intraday reversal. Maybe they can pull that up here. Um, kind of interesting. Yeah, that was originally like the kind of level in which a couple of weeks ago uh, we thought about taking a crack to the upside. We thought when it got back towards those prior highs, it, uh, you know, just above that moving average is probably when you want to take some profits. But we detailed that yesterday. Um, you know, to me, I almost want to look the other way here. I, I'm uh, hopeful of a ceasefire in Gaza. I think we all probably are at this point. Um, I think that, you know, things in the Red Sea have kind of um, slowed down a little bit with the prospects of a ceasefire. Um, and then obviously U.S. and U.K. force. And if we get that, 
and the backdrop of just weakness in China and the like, I think that crude probably goes back, guy, and tests that uptrend or so. So I think in March in the USO, you could probably look at it's trading at like 72 or so, maybe like a 72, 65 put spread. Maybe you want to like roll that a little bit out to April or so, but maybe like a, you know, seven to 10% pullback would make sense in the weeks after um, a, um, you know, a ceasefire. Final question here. This is for you, EY. Um, I don't know what IEF is, so I'm sorry, but JS saying EY practically bottom ticked her entrance into IEF last fall. Thank you. Is she holding or adding to the position on this pullback? So I, I maybe I'm not the brightest bulb in the fixture. Well, that's a true, actually, but <laughs> maybe you can wax that. poetic here. It's an ETF that represents a seven to 10 year treasury. Ah, of course it is. That's uh, how foolish well, of me. There are a few different ways you can buy treasuries. You can obviously buy them in an ETF, but you can't target the maturity exactly. This one is one that ranges from seven to 10 years. You can obviously also buy uh, just directly a 10 year treasury. Um, I am still holding it. I, I do think that there is, as we talked about earlier in the show, the possibility that the 10 year yield stays high. If I start to feel more convicted that it will stay high, I will probably rotate out of a seven to 10 and put more into the shorter end of the curve, waiting for cuts and waiting for the impending rally that would happen on the short end of the curve if and when cuts do actually begin. Um, but I am still holding this. I didn't add I didn't add much to it. I believe I'd have to look, go back and look. I believe I added a little bit later in fall, um, but I did not add, but I am still holding. I thought the IEF was that thing that uh, Tom Cruise was part of where if he gets caught, they get disavowed, but that's that's me, Dan. I don't know. By the way, I asked the impossible mission. Oh, oh that's the IMF. Doug Cast just emailed us, and we'll put this in the show notes. I just like saying that because <laughs> I don't even know what it means, but where it sounds. Good. I don't. Even, I don't know where to find them. But no, Doug no, is saying the last four times the ten-year Treasury note minus the three-month Treasury bill inverted, it led to the 1990s recession, dot-com bust, global financial crisis. And the 2020 recession. So four times prior, it is doing that now in terms of 10 year minus three months. So just something to keep an eye on. Obviously, Doug does yeoman's work, but we got to sort of call it here, Dan, because we've taken enough of Elizabeth's time. I think you guys have like, what do they call those dim sum things? Yeah, we had dim sum. How yeah, do you know what we're having for lunch? Already. How do you know what we're having for lunch? Uh, just because I'm. Because you remember that IMF thing that you just talked about? I think I have cameras situated all over the place. Going on a desk right now poses that water bottle. Uh, But that's it. I want to thank EY from SoFi for joining us. Um, Great job on that Nickelodeon Super Bowl. I mean, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And I I was a sports fan, too. I I know. That's what makes it so pathetic, actually. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, but yeah. it's always a joy. Listen, thank you. I thank the audience. Uh, tomorrow is Thursday, uh, the 15th. The Rangers play the Canadians, I believe, in New York. So an original six matchup. But if it's Thursday, Dan, what is it? It's Butters. Bitch, yes, it is. Thank you, everybody. We'll see, see you, you tomorrow. Thanks. 